The following is a live podcast recorded at the Disruptor Series Live. All right, we are coming to you live from the 3% Conference, Navy Pier, Chicago, Illinois. And we have a very special guest today. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Mackenzie Thomas. Yay! Yay. <laughs> uh, so, Mackenzie, you uh, head up. Uh, product. The specific title is diversity and inclusion products. Yeah. Well, no, not really. I actually okay. kind of like, I don't really know if I have a formal title. This is an, always a question. My mm. VP asked me this recently. He's like, what's your title? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe you should know that too. Um, but in short, I cover both product inclusion and marketing inclusion for consumer apps, mm. um, consumer app or the consumer apps marketing team uh, here at Google. The easiest way to really think about consumer apps is most apps from Google that you have on your phone other than Chrome and YouTube. So that's search, that's news, that's the assistant, that's maps and photos, um, lots of kind of some of our biggest and yep. most loved products. And I work with our PMM, our product marketing managers and our product teams to make the products more inclusive. And this is sure amazing. This make, role is amazing. Yeah, well actually um, to get to th this role about just about a year ago or so, I was a little bored in my role. I was working at the time on our news lab team, which is this awesome group of folks who are working kind of at the intersection of tech and media and journalism. So I was working on uh, how do we combat misinformation and fake news, new forms of media, mm -hmm. really interesting stuff, but was feeling a little bit uh, bored. And at the end of last year, really kind of put my cards on the table and uh, had been at Google at the time for about five years or so. And my VP, who I've worked closely with for a while, said, write your own job description. Let's see what we can do. That's amazing. Um, which was and, awesome. And how did it feel? It felt amazing, right? It was, yeah, it was rad. It was, it was yeah. awesome. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I can, I can do this. Um, and I had worked within this space a, a good bit before and uh, really love the product work. I think that that's something mm -hmm. that, that's why you come to Google. You're working on huge sure. products that impact the scale. Um, and it, so it worked really on search, on news. And yeah, so I wrote this description up. Uh, we collaborated on it together, but really I presented him with this role that was about 50% or so focused on products, our core products. Um, mm -hmm. The other 50% more on marketing inclusion. How do we make sure that our stories are more inclusive, helping to build um, guidelines for folks, building out our inclusive marketing consultants, and really making sure that our the stories that we're telling are as reflective as uh, the users that we have and as the users should be. Mm -hmm. And then I spent another bit of our, my time more on the culture piece too, making sure that we're developing more inclusive cultures, hiring practices, and the like. So all the kind of yeah, that's amazing. lots of time at Google. Yeah. Yeah. And you're the first one to have this role because you wrote the job description for it. It was crafted for you or was there someone who had kind of had an influence on the product and marketing? Side? Yeah. So there's definitely been uh, a ton of folks who have really had huge inspiration on this. So a good friend of mine, Annie, who is actually Google's product inclusion uh, evangelist. And um, she's really led the charge on a lot of this thinking. Mm -hmm. And then my other colleague, Raphael, who helps me with a lot of the inclusive marketing work, he sits on our brand studio side. Um, so I was kind of at like the intersection of the, the two of them. Yeah. And we were this little trifecta. Um, and I had spent a lot of time, though, working with these like core products. And I think that that was kind of where I found my sweet spot sure. uh, at Google. I just love that. I think that sometimes we forget the importance of 
who the real user is. So um, it's super important because yeah. it's almost we have to do a better job just as a community to digitize diversity. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's still operating under some very historic principles, like totally. let's gather, let's march, mm-hmm. and those things all have definitely a, a place in line. But I think you almost have to use the system to create new systems. Yeah, which is what I'm hearing from this conversation, which is so interesting that you got to write a role and then actually work horizontally across different departments to create. This. Totally. It's a super horizontal role. It's a kind of funny half the time. I feel like I don't really know if anyone knows where I am or who, yeah. who I'm with. And that's, that's for the best for, perhaps for now. I don't know if my team who do even I knows tell I'm here. If I'm what off. am I doing? Oh, sorry. Um, no, but uh, I think that a lot of the kind of, I think, more formal activism that you're talking about, though, is equally as important, mm-hmm. if not more so now. Um, I think that sometimes we forget about the importance of, you know, in-person gathering and rallies mm-hmm. and the like. And um, we're seeing that, you know, sometimes folks lean to social media as the as the solution. And I think that that's only a small part of the solution. Sure. You know, if, if you're not out there knocking on doors, if you're not mm-hmm. out there, you know, signing petitions and, you know, donating time, money, energy, then I don't really think that we're going to progress. But there's, of course, work that needs to be done uh, because the same Challenges and biases that exist in the real world certainly exist online too. Yeah, right? of course. So uh, it's it, a reflection of us. Exactly. Yeah. So tell me about today. So you opened up today. You had an amazing <laughs> opening keynote. We're right it was, here. It was good. We you had know, a I- packed room of 1,300 <laughs> people, and uh, you came out to talk about some products that you're working sure, on yeah, yeah, yeah. along with the. Gina Gina Davis Davis Institute, Institute, which you partner with to help create and analyze and look at new ways to actually synthesize DNI, but also to create solutions. Totally. Yeah. So, well, there's a bit of irony that it was about just over a week ago, I think last Mm -hmm. Tuesday or Wednesday, where they're like, yeah, you're going to do this. And said, okay, like, let's see what we can do in a week. Okay. Um, and here we are. And it seems to be going well. Um, yeah, either, it was my, great. either my outfit is good or the, yes. the talk was good, but um, maybe both Visually of them. speaking, yeah, the, hound's the hound's tooth suit is on fire. The collars pop, black and white hound's tooth suit, black and white turtleneck, hair up, killing the game. It's working. Wade Davis was like, yo, that outfit is really good. Um where do I get that? Like three times to me. So I thought that was a win. Um, Love weight too. Um, So yeah, so we both at Google and then in partnership with the Gina Davis Institute. Now, is that your uh, longtime partner at Google and you work together over the course of years too? We've worked for a year. We, I mean, Google, I I have frankly not worked super closely with them up until this, Um, Mm -hmm. but we've utilized um, a lot of their uh, efforts through through the years. But over the last, yeah, um, you know, I think five plus years we've partnered with them. You know, they're really focused on championing gender parity within media advertising. Mm -hmm. And some of the work that we've done is really centered on benchmarking. So understanding where we're even at. And then they do that directly with certain brands as well. So they'll work, um, you know, specifically with a brand who will come and say, can you help us analyze our work? So what we recently released actually just a week ago was the largest ever study on gender representation in advertising. And so we analyzed 2.7 million ads which, so, so previously, the media report didn't cover advertising, or was it included in? So we had done just smaller segments of got advertising. It, got so it. in this case, we're using machine learning models um, sure. 
that look at every single frame within an ad. That's unbelievable. So this was the largest ever study. Um, sure. You know, almost 3 million ads about... Can I ask one more question? Yeah. Was it just domestic or was it globally? You know what? I don't know that answer. I okay. probably should know that. Okay. Um, no, that's fine. I'm, I, I'm really... I think uh, that it is in the U.S. It's so interesting. I, I think, but don't quote me okay. on that. And with that, yeah, so... You know, I think half a trillion eyeballs had seen these ads as mm -hmm. well. So, like, tons of viewership, um, lots of different verticals as well. And, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I think it was international. I'm, like, pretty sure that it was international. Okay. So, regardless, so what we studied was in looking at all these different frames, we saw that actually when there's at least 50% um, representation of women in an ad, it gets 30% more viewership. Which is huge. I think we've been waiting for this sort of number yeah, no, for, for like, years. Like, that, we finally have this. Payoff. Like, that's the that's... payoff. It's people always ask, like, you know, is this good for business or is it just the right thing to do? And if it's good for business, is that be, like, are we taking too much of a capitalistic route? If it's just, you know, some people are motivated by that, other people are not. And I kind of think that, frankly, if we're working in these spaces for large companies, like you have to understand the overlap of those two. Mm -hmm. um, which can be tricky at times for sure. But I think that this, I mean, this stat is so crucial and critical um, for other brands and other organizations to say, okay, we're willing to take that step forward. And, you know, that was the good. There's definitely some areas of improvement. So I think, men, you know, men are still getting, I think it's 56% of screen time and a similar percentage of speaking time as well, collectively. So mm -hmm. there's definitely those areas of improvement. Some industries like auto and the like have tons of, also areas of improvement and then you know cpg and travel are, are you know have hit that parity oh so um, you cut this thing every which way to look at the industries yeah. the categories probably the style of the media totally yeah so tons of you could break it down by speaking time and screen time wow. as well as industry and then prominence as well so we didn't really discuss that too much today but it's online um where you can see the prominence of different folks mm. within within each and spot. now this is a real-time piece of uh, a website or software where you could go in there and, and kind of yeah so the gina davis institute the their site is cjane.org i think cjane.org okay. um, yep. and then on our side think with google has a lot of this information as well and yeah, we're hoping that, you know, brands, organizations can utilize this to make sure that their work is, you know, hits that gender parity. Yeah, um, it was, I thought it was so interesting today when you talked about the ethnicities as part of the study where people of color were seen as athletes and entertainers. So actually you looked at the kind of historical stereotypes of certain groups and how they were portrayed too. So that was more in our own work at Google um, versus this, this broader study. So oh. this broader study was... Um, was only focused on gender. And I will say that it really um, hinged on more of a gender binary. And we know that yep. you know gender is not a binary by any means. Um, and we need to be more intentional moving forward um, mm -hmm. as well about how we can both understand and make sure that we are including everyone, folks who are not cisgender, folks who are genderqueer. My usual example internally is asking you know, how Jonathan Van Ness would come forth and how we would highlight him um, in this spot or, in, you know, in this work, in this mm -hmm. model. Um, and there's not re really an answer to that, right? No, it's and not because the binary model is when we talk about health insurance, you know, the system in the United States particular was set mm -hmm. up on two boxes. Completely. And, and we can chip away, but there's a lot of confusion and inconsistencies across state lines. Totally, yeah. There's a there's a ton of inconsistencies. We need to be thinking about this, you know, in all all elements of life, in school, in advertising, and media, in the mm -hmm. news. 
you know, constantly the, the default of that too is often the man or the male. Mm-hmm. So how, how we push those boundaries, I think is super important, whether that's events or whether that's, you know, how you're writing, who your default is in any work that you're doing. We were recently um, reviewing some product features around um, sports and the fact that when you search for the U.S. Open, for example, obviously men and women both play in the U.S. Open, but oftentimes you'll get the men's scores before the women's scores and you know, mm. asking the question of why that is. If you were following the WNBA, the w- very few outlets were covering the WNBA finals. And if I searched for basketball news in the final game of the WNBA finals and instead I was getting really random college basketball mm-hmm. news. I'm you get big, like Midnight Man. Exactly, yeah. And I'm like, what is go- <laughs> like, why are these large sports companies not covering these Sure. Awesome professional athletes as they should be. And instead they're covering some like small Zion's still out. I'm like, we know Zion's out. He's yeah. still out. I'm sorry. Like, I don't like Duke. I, you know, Zion's okay yeah. now that he's left, but we need to think about every decision that we're making, who we're covering and how we're covering there too. And that's, you know, at Google, we talk about inclusive marketing as both a quantitative and a qualitative, the quantitative being the representation and the qualitative being the portrayal. But I think that it extends far beyond that mm-hmm. too, how the media covers different athletes, different politicians, not, you know, that's the quantitative and the qualitative. And it plays out. The impact of that is on whether folks, you know, think that they can be athletes, think that they can be politicians, mm-hmm. how they should present as well when they are in those roles. Um, it's very interesting yeah. how information is doing so much inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, before, for sure. Before you just, the encyclopedia wasn't really somewhere you like snuggled in the corner no, with to the- get more information. But now, because it's, you know, presented in such an exciting way, the power that holds, totally, that's held yeah. in it matters to so many different people. Yeah, and you're like, oh, this can be fun. Yeah, you're like, being this a nerd did- is cool again. Yeah, yeah that's not the words are, are amazing. In uh, sixth grade, I did go to the Scrabble Championship uh-huh. Ooh, in New York, and meh, meh, meh. nerd. Um, and I'm still so proud of that. So you know what? I yeah. think you know. This did you bring been- home the uh, the no, W? <laughs> no, we're close. No, we're close. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Somehow we got lost in like the science museum and didn't make it to a match. Oh, and here we are. Here we are. So no. now that you're an executive, <laughs> I am uh, nowhere Google, close to an executive. No, yeah, definitely with that no, suit no, on. No, no, no. Let me tell you something. Executive. I look good. No, I'm. Um, but now that you've you know got your career rolling at Google, yeah. how did you get started in this track or know that working in diversity and inclusion was something you wanted to do? So yeah, um, I yeah. was thinking earlier that when I was in college, I never heard the word diversity. Actually, on campus in a class, I never heard it once. Yeah. And then you graduate and you live life and then everything evolves a little and nudges through, you know, Mm -hmm. the wheels of time. And the next thing you're like, oh, diversity is everywhere. But how did you uh, get you grew up in New York? Yeah. So I grew up um, outside of New York City in a very um, white area, uh, the suburbs of New York that really, you know, hinge Mm -hmm. upon white flight from New York City and I grew up in Connecticut. So. Okay, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we just saw you over I the Long Island you Sound. In Uno. Yes, there you go. Yeah. Uh, see you on the ferry. Yeah. Um, but within within um, five minutes of my high school, yeah. there were like five other high schools, and this was like solely due to intentional gerrymandering of saying this was the school primarily for the white kids, and then this other school was primarily for mm-hmm. the you know Latinx folks and. I grew up and it was this was a, a 
you know, it was a good school. I got a quote unquote good education. We were never really challenged to like ask these hard questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, ended up going to Chapel Hill. The reason that I initially went to Chapel Hill was sort of this intersection. I wanted a good college town. I wanted awesome sports. I was a huge Mia Hamm fan growing up. Mm-hmm. And then um, obviously like I like school. So I wanted an academically strong school as well. However, once I got there, there was this dramatic shift and why I loved the school and also came to really love the state of North Carolina was, um, the fact that, you know, Chapel Hill is the first public school, public university in the U S and oh, really? it is. Wow. Yeah. That was we, my stretch We debate school. this with, with UGA. I think UGA wrote their charter first, but we opened our doors. Oh. So like, if you're not letting people in, you're not first. So yeah, no, we, we, we get to claim first, yeah. but you know, they have, some other good stuff down yeah, no, there. Yeah. <laughs> their first, they'll, they'll find a first. <laughs> they'll, they'll find one. They'll, they're doing just fine. Um, yeah. But when I came to, you know, there's this real focus on the state of North Carolina. And that was something that we didn't really talk about in New York, uh, you know, like a love for the state. There was just like people love Manhattan and like love New York City. But there was a real focus at Chapel Hill around how do we make sure that we're investing in the state and everything that you're doing hinges upon that. Mm-hmm. Um, and very quickly in parallel, though, I'm in the South in a, a space that I had not really come to understand. We did very little research on that growing up. But the, the aspects of discrimination that were more codified in, in New York, um, I think, presented much more blatantly down in the South. So very quickly, I was we were having discussions around statues from Confederate soldiers mm-hmm. and, you know, folks who owned slaves whose names were on the buildings. Mm-hmm. And there was this guy, this who was called the pit preacher and he would yell at people every day walking through campus if for whatever issue you know their skirts were too short or they were gay whatever it was and apparently we were all going to hell so there that was happening then there was the passage of amendment one which was really trying to ban gay marriage as well so all these things were kind of manifesting and it was quite blatant so i quickly realized like this sense of silence that had been present growing up i needed Mm. to yeah, you need to let, be a let disruptor. Go of that and I needed to actually ship to... that. Um, and there was a lot of privilege that I have of being a, a white woman. And I was I hadn't even thought about my sexuality at the time as well. So I was just like a straight white girl from New York who had a lot of privilege and acknowledged that, though. Um, and that combined with this focus of the state of, of North Carolina, I think, really got me much more deeply involved in social justice work. Um, mm. Ended up at Google the day after college graduation, which was kind of this wild story of I was like out at, at, at this bar in Chapel Hill at like 2 a.m. and on a flight at 6 and was like, what am I doing? <laughs> and uh, yeah, have have been at Google really ever since. But I, the, the real kind of where this began to shift for me was a few years in, I was in our APMM program, Associate Product Marketing Manager program, mm-hmm. and we were doing some recruitment. And at the time, the recruitment, we get an email that's like, help recruit. And at the time, the recruitment was at a very small number of schools. And I turned to this guy, a good friend of mine, and I said, hey, Angelo, like this, something seems wrong about this. And he was like, yeah, we should not just be recruiting. You can kind of guess which schools these were. Um, We should not just be doing this. And it really, it was the two of us and our other friend, um, Danielle, and the three of us decided, okay, we're going, we need to fix this. You know, this Mm -hmm. is a huge entry point for a lot of our most talented non-technical folks, especially those in marketing, and we need to change this. So we worked directly with HR. We worked with our program manager to say, okay, how can we shift, make more inclusive hiring choices, then make more inclusive culture, and then more inclusive marketing work. And the work piece for me was super important because most people will never hire someone. Maybe you're more junior. Many people will, but a lot of people won't. You know, the culture thing, I think, is something that 
is oftentimes top down, um, that there's definitely some people that everyone mm -hmm. contributes to the culture, but there's definitely some people who are much bigger players. But mm -hmm. the in our work thing is something that everyone touches, whether you're writing a brief, you know, and you're more on the creative side, whether you're working with product and you're doing user research, like in all mm -hmm. these cases, we need to think about inclusive marketing or inclusive product development. And that really got us started. So that was, you know, back I think in 2014. And now I look back and a lot of this is much more formalized, it's, which is awesome. We have like guidelines, there's yeah. you know people that are doing this work. It's now become a much more, I'd say, systematized thing. And It's very sophisticated. Even earlier today when you were speaking about the emojis, the icons, the pixel color, you were talking about a lot of the communication totally. nuances that before- No, you look at emojis, you, you look at avatar, and it's just like, oh, all these things are white folks and mm -hmm. and i'm like oh i see myself i'm a white woman i see myself in all these things but that's not right like we mm -hmm. should not that should not be the default i was teaching a class um at chapel hill a few weeks ago and uh, on some similar topics and put up all the different emojis and the skin tones that are based on the fitzpatrick scale and the so there's you know all the all these five or six skin tones and i asked the class to raise their hand if they ever and then you know the default is that yellow ask the class to raise their hand if they've mm -hmm. ever changed from the yellow. And unsurprisingly, most people who are not white, who have, who are black, who are Latinx, who are Indian, raise their hand. Um, most people who are white, obviously, you don't have to think about it. Then I flipped that and said, okay, if the default was the darkest color, would you change it? And then of course, like 90% of the class, it's, you know, it's predominantly mm -hmm. white institution, 90% of the class raised their hand. And you're just thinking about these little moments where all of a sudden you're, your race is just neutral. And no one really th thinks twice about mm -hmm. that because you're the one that's crafting this. You're the one that mm -hmm. um, is sees yourself, but that's not necessarily right. We can challenge this in all of our work on the emojis, I think in the gender piece as well, the basis of gender within emojis is very prevalent and we're beginning to see some shifts there, but avatars too, like it's, it's everywhere. Once you start realizing this, I'm like, it's really annoying now watching TV and, seeing ads and, and you know walking around my parents are like oh my god you just need to stop for a second and like calm down like everything is not related to inclusive marketing i'm like but it is but it is no but it matters now <laughs> it does because matter. we speak it does matter. we read with our eyes <laughs> totally as, through images yeah Where, but when, when our parents grew up they were read words well we can go we can go down the whole news and media front too on this topic because it's the same challenges yeah like, so few i think only like Something like twenty percent of obituaries in the New York Times are are by or for women. You know, even lesser amount of non-white folks. Mm -hmm. It's every it's everywhere. Well, you know, well before the internet, everybody was just hooking up their crew. Right. You know, so yeah. everybody hooked up the jobs. Yep. You knew yep. the neighbor because that's where you were redlined, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is where you lived. You know, I mean, we got here as almost the fourth generation of a science project, more so than. Yeah by default totally. because we, i think we forget that it's we're here by design oh, everything completely. is exactly everything is by design yep, yep. and people sometimes wake up and go can you believe <laughs> and i'm like yes absolutely yeah. there were serious meetings about this oh my god from every yeah. person who gets into every school to who gets hired to xyz i grew up in connecticut okay, and yeah, yeah. Um, my dad's a judge and my mom's a school teacher mm -hmm. And in 1977, when they went to go buy our home, 
they had got pre-approved. My yeah. dad goes to okay. pick up the keys and they go, well, there's a clause in here that we mm-hmm. don't have to sell it. And that mm-hmm. wasn't removed until 1979. Yeah, the segregation of law. That's yep. Richard Rothstein's book. Highly recommend. Unbelievable. So yep. my mom, I'm mixed. Mm-hmm. And my mom went in a school teacher's salary and the home is still in her name. And she tells the story and goes... Now, how could I get approved right. as a third grade public you know school how. teacher and your dad mm-hmm. doesn't get approved and he's a judge? He's a, and yeah. it's like, yep. what can you say? Mm-hmm. What can you say? So it's 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 a long time that we've come here. And I and I love hearing all the things that you're doing that are many disruptions that are happening constantly and ongoing Total, within yeah. the tech space and also within society, because as we become closer to the singularity project mm. it's important dun, that, dun, uh... dun. <laughs> so I, I think i mean it, this extends as i was saying like so far beyond tech mm-hmm. i think that it, that's some tech and advertising and media like that's i think often where we talk about representation and then we also talk about of course who's in the room how many mm-hmm. um women in congress how totally. many school teachers but there's this layer around like asking the question of where the data that you're sourcing you know your report comes from really questioning almost every decision. This is why this yep. feels you know, even more exhausting, I think. This student that I, I was talking with a couple of weeks ago who was working at Bloomberg last summer, and she was saying, you know, I was the only woman in the room, and I thought that merely that was this act of resistance and that was important enough. And until we started talking, I hadn't really thought about the fact that all of my reporting, though, was based on the same data sets that were all fundamentally created mm. by men. So what sort of stocks should be invested in, changes in the market, businesses, like all of, you know, that's my look at what Bloomberg does. Mm -hmm. All of those things, though, were baked in data that men were dictating. And I was just assuming that that was truth. But how do we challenge the notion of truth when we are like singular and, you know, she's an intern, a summer intern and she's like, now I need to challenge what truth is in this huge institution. And we're talking about like, you know, financial markets, but I thought it was such a good glimpse as to like, okay, we need to be thinking about that. And honestly, like, I think that white people need to be thinking about this much more. I think it falls a lot on us as opposed to everyone else who we've long forced this to be. Yeah. It's like the conversation was separated from yeah, it didn't you know, affect race us. was so like then you were, their you, conversation. Exactly. You know, my parents would always tell me. I actually spoke at Bloomberg last year. They held their first ever trillion dollar summit. Oh. And they invited me to come in and keep it. You have a trillion dollars? And uh, what it was was it nope. was 200 hedge fund managers <laughs> oh. that manage at least $5 billion. Oh, wow. And it was okay. 199 men and one woman. And the one woman in the group oh, called mm. Bloomberg and told them it was their responsibility to host a summit because all these women companies, all these women, she was going down the mm-hmm. list away, swell, yep. rent the runway. She had the whole list. She goes, they're not getting funding. Their rate of return is better than all these other men. You have all these women mm-hmm. creators, but because the men are holding the Tw- dollars right. with, we're all about data. The returns are better, but, but, but. So they held this meeting and I, was the keynote. And I remember right before I went out, they were like, Doug, you have to reintroduce the conversation. Mm. And I sat here and go, this isn't this something. I'm the Mm -hmm. one who's Mm -hmm. talking to the trillion dollar summit (laughs) about gender equality. And it was uh, a really eye opening for me. In college, a a close friend of mine was in a a, like 
stock market class and they each had to choose a stock at the beginning mm-hmm. of the class that they were going to invest and they had to pitch to the class and i guess the class had some like you know small pool of money that they were going to invest mm-hmm. um and you know she's the only woman in the <laughs> yeah. in the room and at the time she's like we should invest in lululemon she does this whole project the whole thing and all the guys are like that's ridiculous it's yoga pants like are you kidding me it's yoga pants like it's fitness attire no we should invest yeah. in all these other things and sure enough over the course of the semester like her stock was the, the returns it. were so, and they were, the guys were just like that's the exception to the rule I'm like this is not the exception to the rule like women control more money than men it doesn't and make have, but yep yep here we are here it's we are. so just to hear it um so what's next for you so um you've been at google oh, for all these years you're killing question. it you've, you've, are, you've created your own job, dis- yeah. job description but what do you see in the kind of the either the near term or the long term we'll uh, talk for long you personally? term for sure um a few things kind of on my long-term, mm-hmm. longish term. I think that state politics and local politics are super important, obviously national as well, but that's something that I am increasingly gravitating towards over the coming years. Mm-hmm. And long-term, I eventually want to run for office as well, mm. um, which is something that that's is, big. yeah, that that's something that this year in particular, things kind of, I began to have some more kind of serious conversations mm-hmm. with that, but also uh, some kind of fun conversations with my friends and folks at work and beyond of, you know, mm-hmm. ma- amassing my now, campaign what, what team. what would you want to do? Is that a secret? What position you would be interested mostly in um, I, I at some point want to run for school board, uh, and then I'm also thinking more so of, um, more of a mayoral-esque. Yeah. Um, we'll see. We'll we'll. Those are some aspirations at some point. And then, as I mentioned, just got done teaching a bunch of classes this past uh, October at Chapel Hill, which was amazing. And that was oh, something wow. that initially I was thought, like, I'm going to do this when I'm retired. Like, this is going to be my my exit. And now I'm like, oh, this was really fun. So I know that more and more I want to work with students, get back into higher ed mm-hmm. um, as well. But I think that, you know, at Google, we're in a really interesting moment and a really interesting opportunity as well. I think that we have been reminded of that over the you know past few days, few hours um, at 3% uh, with this. But I think even more broadly that there's a lot of room for improvement. But I think we've also, sometimes I forget that we have made a lot of progress on this front mm-hmm. um, and ensuring that we're, you know, holding our own power to account and pushing on that as well and thinking about what broader movements there are within media and representation. Mm-hmm. My, um, as I think through like, large topics with that intersect in these spaces, this this notion of how communities are represented in the media and the impact of that within policy continues to kind of perpetuate. So we don't, you know, we didn't see the black community living in Flint, um, what their story is being covered for until it was, you know, seemingly yeah, too no, late. Until it's like it right. Did. So like who who is covering these communities, our communities, who's not covering them? We mm-hmm. see these news deserts. The news deserts perpetuate broader issues as well, where then there's corruption in local politics. Mm-hmm. So how can we understand and acknowledge uh, representation in the newsrooms, on screen, um, mm-hmm. and then kind of track that to what the impact is politically as well. So we'll see. And I also love sports. So there's some, there's something sports-oriented yeah. that's going on as well <laughs> that I'm like, oh, we all got your it. We worlds got it. will we got combine. It. They will all combine. Yes. Now, how can oh, – it was amazing to sit down with you today. Thank you. And I yeah. want to know how can people get in touch with you can you maybe mention your social handles or what social media? You know, I'm actually only on Instagram. Only on Instagram. I'm only on the okay. gram. Um, LinkedIn's fine too, I, I suppose. Um, but I'm Mackenzie Ray Thomas, R A E, on on the gram. So okay, all yeah. right. 
Well, we'll it. make sure to send people there. Sweet, yeah, as love, our love some more followers. Yeah, yeah. We, a couple we more like, followers. I'll take DM a few. miscellaneous. Hey. We don't know what's going hey. on. You're gonna get lots of political, <laughs> you know, lots of sports. Some, yeah. you know, cool. statements where my friends are like, "Okay, Mackenzie, here you are again." <laughs> like, but anyway, thank you. Well, this thank was fun. you so much. Thank you for supporting Three Percent yeah, as Google. Sure. Thank you for telling me and sharing with our audience your disruptive story. Thanks and for getting me more followers. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, take care. <laughs> Catch you later. You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast brought to you by TBWA Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com. 